As I was thinking about uh, our passage uh, for this week, I was reminded of a, a book I read. It was called Fully Human and Fully Alive. It was written by a guy named John Powell, and in it, he wrote these words. He said, fully alive people are those who are using all of their human faculties, powers, and talents. They are using them to the full. These individuals are fully functioning in their external and internal sources. They are comfortable with and open to the full experience and expression of all of humans' emotions. Such people are vibrantly alive in mind, heart, and will. There is an instinctive fear in most of us, I think, to travel with our engines at full throttle. So we prefer instead, for the sake of safety, to take life in small and dainty doses. I think John Powell was on to something when he wrote about our experiencing life, if we really want to live it to the full, involves us engaging every part of ourselves in whatever we're doing. I think that's why a lot of people become adrenaline junkies. You know, you go bungee jumping and you feel fully alive because every part of you is aware of what's going on. It's why I used to love rock climbing and whitewater rafting because as I would go on those trips and engage in those activities, I would really have to engage my, my physical body. I'd have to think about what I was doing. The, the heart gets pumping. There's all sorts of emotions going on. And for me, as a follower of Jesus, I would just love being in creation, and that would speak to my soul. Every single one of us, as we were designed, was designed intricately by God with hearts, minds, souls, and bodies. And each one of those components isn't meant to be dealt with on its own, but rather we are built so that every one of our systems and those parts of us are to engage in tandem. And when we do that, when we're most whole and we align all those things together, that's when we get a sense of living. That's when we get an experience of life to the full. You know, Jesus talked a lot about this kind of stuff. He talked about us loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he would engage people as he would speak to them, he would try to connect these things. His illustrations would often be about the physical world around people as he engaged sort of philosophical concepts and, and challenged people's intellectual thinking. But he wouldn't just leave it there. He would speak to the heart and soul. He would walk up to someone and meet them and and, and he would know immediately what was going on emotionally within them. He would speak truth into them so that their souls would become alive so that they would know the very real and living God. But sadly, a lot of us, even though we know that intellectually, don't actually live that. We don't like to give ourselves fully to anything because I think when we go there, we have a fear of disappointment, sometimes of being misunderstood. Sometimes we just don't know because we're sort of fragmented as a person and we haven't learned about what it means to be whole. I'm worried that a lot of us are sleepwalking through life. When we sleepwalk, when we, sleepwalk we engage with part, but not a whole. Do you know anyone who sleepwalks? I know quite a few people who sleepwalk, but I remember my first instance of seeing sleepwalk, someone sleepwalk, which was my brother, and it was totally weird. 
During this one summer, my brother was line painting for construction crews out on the highway to pay for college. And what he would do is he'd get up every morning super early and he would head out and his shifts were about 16 hours. When you added that with his uh, drive to and from work, he'd often be gone for about 18 hours of the day. And so he would just be totally drained. And my brother, his room was down in the basement and right beside it was this TV room. And I remember I would sit there and watch TV. And as my brother came in at the end of his shift, he would sort of just walk, go into his room, change into pajamas, get in bed. And he'd just crash for the couple hours he had left to give him some piece of energy. But one night it was really strange because as I was watching the TV, my brother emerged from his room and stood in the hallway and began to conduct traffic. You know, and he would just stop people and he would tell them to go and he would actually engage in conversation with me. I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? I'm directing in traffic, Kyle. I need to make sure all these people come and go, leave me alone, you know. And it was this really strange thing that if it wasn't for the fact that we were in that room and he was in his pajamas instead of his high-vis vest, I might have assumed that he was awake. He was partly awake and partly asleep. And I think that's how a lot of us are living. In fact, sometimes I think that's our approach to church, is that we come here sleepwalking. We sometimes come and we sit in the chairs, or, you know, we would traditionally say the pew, and we sit there and we become partly invested, but not fully here. Perhaps our imaginations are captured somewhere else. We're thinking about our work or our favorite sports team and how they're doing, or maybe we're just thinking of next week's adventure. But we're not really here, heart, mind, and soul, even if we're physically in the room. I think that's sad, because it doesn't line up at all with the soul of what Jesus spoke to. It doesn't line up at all with what he wanted us to live and experience with him. As we go through this series called Wildfire, looking at the spread of the good news of Jesus because of the, what the early church did, we can't just look outside of the early church. We have to look within. And we have to ask ourselves, are we too living fully engaged with what is going on if we're going to actually have any sense of wanting to go out and make a difference in the world? The Apostle Paul, though, he was one of these guys, and, and a lot of the book of Acts, particularly the section we're in now, focuses on him. And it does that because I think as Luke watched him, Luke's the author of Acts, who was a follower of Jesus, he saw him and said, man, this guy has got it. He's worshiping God with heart, mind, and soul. Paul started off antagonistic towards the church, he would live his life, set out to kill Christians, to imprison them, to make sure they were squashed and snuffed out. But then when he encountered Jesus, everything changed. He became so passionate about what he had experienced that it consumed every part of him. Intellectually, it was engaging for him. It, it changed his emotions and the way that he thought about others. It, of course, brought him fully to life in his soul. But then it drove him physically to go to the ends of the earth for what he knew. And he would lay his body on the line 
being punished time and time again by the elements and others who, just like him before his conversion, would try to snuff out this gospel message. But as Paul traveled around, what we see is that he came across a lot of different people. He came across those people who were antagonistic. They were pushing against the church, sure. But he also came across those who were sleepwalking. Particularly groups of Jewish people who identified with God as their God, but had yet to fully give their soul to what God had done through the person of Jesus Christ. They had yet to engage themselves intellectually in actually studying and understanding what Jesus had to say and how he fulfilled the message that they had been studying in their scriptures. And so what Paul did was he tried to push in on these different attributes. And sometimes it would go quite poorly. Right before the passage that Lara read today, we read that Paul had gone to Thessalonica and he had encountered all these different people uh, who were following God as Jews. And, and when they heard what Paul had to say, they rebelled. They chased him out of town. They wanted his head. They were dead set against everything he would have to say. They weren't really engaging with him heart, mind, body, and soul. But then we come to this interesting group. This group called the Bereans. These people in this town called Berea. And they, they, as Paul comes to them, we see that something's different. The way that they engage with him allows them to flourish. We see that they come very much alive. And Luke, the author, who's traveling with Paul at this time, witnesses this. And so as, we, as Lara read in verse 11, we read that now the Berean Jews were of more noble character. Who says there's something different about these people. And this is something worthy of attention and praise and of note. Why are they noble? Well, he says, for they received the message that Paul brought with great eagerness. And then as they received it, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. These Bereans were very much alive and they were considered noble because they decided that when it came to worshiping God and them getting their bums in pews, that they wouldn't just come and sleepwalk when someone came to talk to them, but they would actually engage in what was taking place place and we see that because of this in verse 12 we read that their souls responded because they received the good news that jesus was the messiah the one they had been looking for what paul had to say was true but how did they know how did they come to this conclusion how did their lives become new well it became new because they pursued god with heart mind body and soul and so today, uh, I want to encourage us to look at these Bereans and consider some of the things they did as a way that we too can become more alive in our faith journey. I really do trust that if you're here, that even if you're distracted, perhaps you've got a lot going on, I, I trust that you want the best out of your faith life. And so let's ask ourselves, how can we take a look at what they did and apply it to ourselves so that we can be more engaged and alive when it comes to our faith. Well, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to learn with your Bibles open. 
Lara said it this morning, and we say it every week as we open up God's word. We encourage people to open your Bible with us. One of the things the Bereans did is when Paul got up to teach, they didn't just listen to what he had to say and say yes or no. They took God's word, which they had, and they said, does this line up with what God spoke? Now, what's interesting is they didn't have a Bible like we currently have. We live in this part of history after all the letters that were written and everything that was formed for the New Testament was written and distributed. But what they did have was what we would consider our Old Testament. They had the Jewish scriptures. And so they looked to them because they knew that God had inspired dozens of authors over hundreds of years to write down what he was doing. They wrote from the beginning of creation and all the way through, through kings and prophets, through struggles, through highs, through lows, through mountaintop endeavors and encounters with God to places where they felt distant and alone for over 400 years from the God they worshipped. And so the Bereans knew this and they understood that God had given them this gift. And so they said, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to what you have to say, Paul, but we're going to go back to what God has already spoken. And we're going to weigh those things to understand what is true. If Paul had gotten up and said something wasn't right and something that went against God's truth, they would have said, hey, no, this doesn't make sense. This isn't true because God has already spoken it to be so. But when they heard that Paul was actually answering all the questions they had, in particular, wondering when God would send the Savior to them, they saw that these things align and came to be so. And what's powerful about that, and why we don't see that Paul Buck, why we don't see Paul push against it, why we don't see Luke say that this is a bad thing, is because we know that the truth is not found in the messenger, it's found in the message, in the book that God wrote. The reason I ask everyone here each week to open up their Bible to join us as we study God's word is because that's the source of truth. And I don't get up here and try to lie or try to misconstrue. I'm not here to try to deceive anyone, but the reality is that I am a broken, flawed person, as is everyone else who will come up and give a message here in this church. And while we try our best to read what God wrote, to study it, and to communicate clearly the truth of God, the reality is sometimes we're not going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to be misconstrued. Sometimes we're going to miscommunicate. And so that's where we need to elevate not the speaker or the platform, but the truth that God wrote. And we believe that the word of God is active and alive. We believe that it has the power to change us from the inside out. And we believe that as the truth is revealed to us, if we follow Jesus Christ, that it will speak to us and help us know what's right from wrong. And so really, when we come to church, if we want to be alive, we engage in this. All that we do, those of us who teach here at Emmanuel, is that we help it come, become hopefully a little bit more clear. We take after the story that happens in Nehemiah chapter 8. There's a story about the leaders in Jerusalem who who came, and what they wanted to do was receive the teaching from the law and God. And so what they did is they had some people who would come forward, who would read the ancient Jewish scriptures, and then they would say, 
This is what we believe this means. Now what are you going to do? That's what we do here on a Sunday, but the power is not in a good question. Me saying, oh, here's a great application. It's not even in a great quote that I like to throw up on the screen each Sunday. The power that is found to fully engage you is found only in God's word. And so you know what? If you really want to grow, open your Bibles on a Sunday. I don't care if it's on your phone, on a tablet, a paper copy, whatever it is, get into it and allow it to speak to you. That's why we keep Bibles in our front entrance, because we want you, if you don't have one, you forgot one, you've never been given one, you can't afford to buy one, for you to be able to go and grab one. Because what we want to give you is the truth. And the truth, hopefully, will sometimes come from up here, but every time it will come from in here. The next thing that they did as Bereans is they didn't just pick up the Bible once, but it says that they studied it daily. And it says not only did they study it daily, but they studied it with great eagerness. What does it mean to be eager? It means to sort of like rush to something with anticipation, right? I mean, last night we had a couple friends over, and we'd had dinner, and, and we, the kids had gone to play, and there was this anticipation, this eagerness in the room. The kids were waiting for dessert. They knew that there was dessert downstairs in the freezer, and so while they went off and, and did their thing and were playing in different rooms, as soon as I said, ice cream, boom, right? Like, it was amazing. This horde of children came from every single room and crashed around the counter because they were eager. They were excited. They were anticipating something sweet to eat. Well, the Bereans weren't looking for ice cream. They were looking for this truth. They were eager and excited that God's word would be able to speak and answer the needs and desires of their hearts. And so eagerly, they anticipated each day. They didn't have Bibles of their own, so they'd come together, but they would come and they would wait to hear what God would say through his word. And so they'd listen to Paul. They'd hear what he had to say each day in the synagogue, and then they would open up the scrolls and they would say, God, what are you going to say to me today? The Apostle Paul once wrote to the church in Rome, he said, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so if we have an eagerness to grow in our faith, if we have an eagerness to, to become more fully alive in our spiritual life, then we need to eagerly rush towards the truth and to hear from it, to receive it, because God has already spoken. Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we rushing towards it? I would encourage you to evaluate yourself and how often you dig into your Bible. And not just how often do you open it up and read it, and maybe for some of you who are task people, check off the daily Bible reading, or for those who just want to slug off a little bit of the shame and guilt, uh, so you read your Bible, so you, you, you know, I'm a little bit better of a Christian. I mean, no. Well, you want to come to it and say, hey, I, God, I'm here, and I know you spoke, so will you speak to me today? Now, I know it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I struggle with this, too. You know, to, to, to read the Bible daily, we look at it and we go, man, that, that's, a, that's a task to add. That's a task to add. Like, like do I, can I really do it? Can I fit it in? 
Well, when I find myself asking that question, or perhaps you find yourself asking that question, I would encourage you to ask this other question, set of questions. Have I checked my email today? Have I looked at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok? Did I check my good old-fashioned mailbox on my house or down the street on the corner of the block? Chances are we don't have a whole lot of problem going to do those few things. Well, why do we check those things? Well, I think we check those things because we believe that there's something for us there. Maybe there's an important piece of news that we want to engage with. Maybe there's a meme that we're hoping will make us laugh. Maybe there's an important status update that we, we don't want to miss, and so we end up doom-scrolling. Or we end up checking our email 46 times on the weekend, even when we're not at work. We go to it because we've raised its value. We check on it because there's an eagerness within us Maybe from a good desire, maybe not a good desire. I'm, I'm not asking us to address that in this moment. But, but we have something, right, that's drawing us in. And so we make the time to get there. And I mean, we don't even have an excuse. The Bereans had to travel from their home to go to the church to open up the scriptures, which only the Jewish leaders would have had access to in order to study it on their own or together. We can't even say it's easier to open an email or check Facebook. I mean, we got it on our phones. Some of us have copies and copies and copies of Bibles in our houses, on our bookshelves that are collecting dust. So the question that you might better want to ask as you engage with this is, do I see value in the truth that God wrote? Do I trust that this book will actually have answers to the questions that I'm working through. Do I really trust Jesus when he quoted time after time the scriptures? Do I want to follow through and become more like him? The Bereans looked into the Bible every single day because they believed that it had the power to change their lives. Do you? Sometimes it's hard to do on our own. And that's why I actually like what happened with the Bereans is that they didn't just study on their own. They studied together. Now, there's the obvious reason that we can sort of write this off again. They didn't have copies of the Jewish scriptures on their own. They, they only had community copies that would have been kept in the synagogues by the rabbis in special cases that they couldn't just go and borrow and take home when they wanted. But what happened is it was more than that, I think. There's something noble that takes place, Luke says. And I think that God designed us for community. And I think we all know that. Deep down inside, we all have a desire to be with other people. And when we're on our own, there's something lacking. And I think what God did is he gave us that drive so that you and I could come together so that we can work together to understand who God is in community so that more of him would be revealed than to any one of us on our own. I love going to community group and hearing what other people have to say about the passages that we're discussing when we do the Bible study portion, because so often I, I come to this moment where I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. 
wow, that's really neat how, how God spoke to you in this way, in this place, and it's so different than any conclusion I could have ever come to on my own. I haven't had your experience. I haven't worked through some of the things that you've gone through. And so when you speak truth about what God's truth says, it brings a different facet for me to understand, one that I couldn't come to on my own. This is also really important because sometimes people go crazy on their own. I mean, it's really easy to study something or to get into a pattern of thinking on our own and to just allow that to kind of spiral out of control and lead us to a place where we start to believe things that aren't even true. Part of the value of community is we can be checks and balances for one another. And I think this is important to even be broader than just, you know, if you're a couple or just with one friend, because it's easy to kind of get even in there as just two people on your own. But to be in community with other people, to have them speak truth, yes, but also to speak challenges to us helps us be accountable to what the truth really says. It's really easy to take something out of the Bible and give it a and take that one verse out of context and, and justify whatever I want to say, or whatever I want to think. But when we have the truth that's been spoken in group, it really has benefit. That's why the writer of the Proverbs said, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's why the author of Hebrews told us never to give up meeting together, because together we can encourage one another as we wait for one day Jesus to approach again. That's why as a church we encourage people to gather not just on Sunday but in community groups throughout the week because those are valuable life-giving places. It's why uh, our community group uh, sort of direction is that we encourage our groups to do sermon-based small groups. It's not, again, because I want you to hear from me and just have more of that, but it's because we're studying God's word together, and then when we get around a table or around a circle of couches or wherever we are in that group, we can engage in with what God has to say to us. It helps us to nobly pursue a life that's more fully engaged. And it's way better than doing it on our own. It's so much more life-giving. And it's exciting. I mean, when I, I hear about the things that God's doing in someone's life as I engage in community with them, it really does propel my face. Not just in the Bible study. I mean, this past week we were praying for someone who couldn't be in our community group because they had to go to uh, an, an AGM uh, for a board they were on, and there was some difficult stuff coming down the pipe. And, and, and it could have gone bad. And we decided as a community group that what we would do is we would pray at the time of the start of the AGM for what was going to go on in that meeting. And you know what? I'm really excited. Because this morning I got asked the person, how did the AGM go? And they were able to tell me it went well. It wasn't divisive. People actually understood, and we got to, to, you know, get some stuff done. And it was actually kind of exciting because more people showed up than normally do. And you know what? That's not just good news. I don't just feel glad for my friend that this thing got to happen, but I trust. And no, I've been a strata president. I know how terrible it can be. I know that God was in the room. 
I know that the prayer of God's people was answered at that AGM in another place across the city because of what was taking place in another room. If we want to become fully engaged and fully alive, we need to dig in roots in Christian community so that we can support and love one another, so we can help each other grow, and so we can show what God is really doing, not just here in a Sunday morning, but all across the city and across the lower mainland throughout the week as we pray for one another, as we touch base with one another, as we care for one another when we're sick. And so let's engage so that we can grow. So we study our Bible. We do it regularly with eagerness. We get together and work through our faith so that we can help one another grow. But a really important facet of this is our heart and our heart's disposition towards things of faith. One of the things, while it's not explicitly spoken here in this passage, is that I believe is here nonetheless, is that the Bereans came with a humble heart. The Bereans really showed a humility. I mean, there were Jewish leaders who had been studying the texts for their entire lives. They'd committed the fullness of their being to living uh, what we might call a kosher lifestyle. They have dedicated everything, every part of society, to living in a certain way. Yet, when someone came with the truth, they were willing to listen. They were willing to wrestle through. When someone could have proposed the very thing that they were looking for, they didn't say, hey, we don't know you. Get out of here, Paul. They didn't say, well, I'm not sure that goes against our roots. They said, no, we're going to listen to what this guy has to say. Compare that in contrast to what happened in Thessalonica right before. They said, how dare you, Paul, have something else to say than what we have been doing? How dare you come into this community and think that you could tell us who the Messiah is, this martyred man who died on a cross a few years ago? No, the Bereans, they said, all right, let's listen. We don't know everything. We've been waiting on promises. Someone's come to us with a message. Let's have a little humility. Let's sit down and study what God wrote. Most of us have a genuine desire to be biblical people. We really want to live and believe what's written in the truth. But sometimes we carry with us because maybe we've experienced some wrong teaching, maybe because we've taken a passage out of context, maybe because we've been in an environment that was unhealthy for us. We carry around with us because of these things some ideas that are misguided, some things that are off base. And we need to be prepared to have God speak his truth. We need to humble ourselves and be willing to listen and change our heart and mind. And I can tell you from personal experience, it makes a world of difference how your heart is. I alluded to it a little bit last week when I was talking, but I, I went through a, a particular time Probably from the time, well, I probably started when I was about 14. But, uh, you know, when I, when I was a, a, a late teen, uh, into my early to mid-20s, I really felt like I knew the truth. 
I was serious about my Bible. I was serious about studying it. I remember so vividly going to Bible college and I would spend so much time on certain passages and I became so convinced that I would argue with my profs. I was regularly kicked out of Theology 101. My pro, I drove my prof nuts. And I would just go and I'd go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, this is the truth. And never, never would I shut up and listen to this patient man who said to me, let's just walk through God's truth. I hear you. I love your heart, Kyle. Would you just listen, not, if not to me, to God's word? No, because I know the truth. And you know what? I grieve about those days because years later, as I would study God's word, whether it was on my own, whether it was in a preparation for a message, whether it was in a group Bible study, I would come to this place where I would go, man, my arrogance blinded me to the truth. I missed out on having more freedom. I missed out on having more discipline. I missed out on knowing something more about the character of God that would have made me fall more in love with him than coming at it from the position of something that was misguided but I felt so convicted of. Yes, there's things that we have to be diehard on. There's things that are gospel truths, but there's other things that we can get wrong or we can just be ignorant to, even if innocently, that we need to be willing to hear from others so that we can hear the truth, so that we can know God in a more vibrant way, so we can experience a new facet of who he is or how he designed the world or us or how he calls us into living a flourishing life so that we can experience all of what he has for us. One of my favorite things is the Sermon on the Mount. And it speaks to me time and time again, but every time I go to it, I know I have to come and say, God, I need to set myself aside so that I can hear you. And every time I do, it's amazing. That whole passage is Jesus saying, this is how my kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. This is how I will lead my people into a flourishing life. This is how I will come to solve our world's problems. And when I come to that, when I hear it with a humble heart and not with what I think those passages should say, I'm moved. I'm changed. I'm excited about the truth of what God can do if we follow in the way of his kingdom. And so, will we humbly submit ourselves to what God wants to say to you and to me. That's for all of us. And on that note, I, I just for a moment, this next point is going to be for all of us who are Bible study leaders, who are children's ministry teachers, who have some type of role of teaching in the church. And that's this, be willing to accept questions and accept correction. You know, there's a lot of pressure when you teach in church. I recognize that. It doesn't matter if you're teaching our, 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 our preschool class. It doesn't mean 
matter if you're teaching our most senior group who's been studying the Bible forever, there is a pressure to coming and teaching. I know because you want to do right by God and you want to do right by his truth. And so you will you'll study and you'll prepare and you'll push in with what you believe is truth. But we have to be really careful that that doesn't lead us to a place of arrogance. We have to be prepared to, to make sure that we're willing to walk alongside others and, and trust that God brought a community of people together who can also speak into our lives. We have to be willing to wrestle through the questions. And yes, maybe your position on something's not going to change. Yes, maybe uh, a certain way of, of doing things, your philosophy might not change. That's okay, but be willing to answer the questions. But also be okay with the fact that sometimes someone's going to question you and you're going to go, oh, you're right. I missed out on that one. I remember one of uh, my favorite times that really threw me off the very first time this happened. This happened about, I don't know, about four or five years ago. There was a young woman in our church and uh, she came up to me after this sermon and uh, she said, hey, Kyle, you know, you said you were wrong about this. I mean, I think I had had like three conversations with her. She's more than a decade younger than me. She hasn't been to Bible school. And if I had wanted to, my reaction should have been, are you really questioning me? Like, I know more than you, you know? I, I wouldn't do that. But I mean, I could have done that, right? Like if I had stayed in an arrogant heart and hadn't had a humbleness to myself, if I wasn't really willing to believe that there's a priesthood of all believers who can speak the truth to one another in church community, I could have dismissed her or ignored her. But I heard her out instead. And she said, actually, I think you got this wrong. I've been studying this and it's like this. And I went back to my office, a little bit frustrated, I'll be honest, but, you know, hanging my head, being like, could she be right? And I remember sitting that week and studying in my office and saying, she's right. I had it wrong. That's so much better anyways. Why, what, why didn't I see that truth? Why, why, why not? And it was so exciting for me to be able to come to her the next week and say, hey, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. Thank you so much for that correction because it helped encourage me and accept me. And you know what? As a teacher, as a leader in the church, if you're one of them, that's a great way to encourage your people because she was encouraged. She is one of the most faithful and diligent studiers of God's word that I know in our church. I'm thankful for her. A young woman in her 20s, all because she's willing to believe in this truth and so teachers bible study leaders community group hosts whatever your role is i encourage you don't place yourself above jesus or paul or any of these guys who are willing to humbly accept questions jesus didn't get corrected but he humbly accepted questions so that he could help other people learn the truth church there's so much opportunity for us to become very alive as we work together as we study god's truth as we have heart postures we don't have to come to this place and just go am i going to get anything out of it today well i actually believe you will if you come with the posture ready to learn same thing at community group same thing in your personal devotion same thing as you sit around the table with your family and discuss the truth these things will change and shape you if only we're willing to pursue it now let me leave you with just one word of encouragement. 
and that's that you can do this. One of the most intimidating things, I think, is the fact when we're out of practice or maybe we've never learned how is to jump in to God's word, to study it on our own, to not just hear from others, but, but scripture tells us that we need to take that step, that one day we have to uh, stop nursing and start to eat big boy and girl food. And so, but the good news is that you can do it. For starters, we live in a time and place in history where we have more access to more resources and tools than have ever existed before this. We are generations in this room of the most highly educated people in the history of our planet, and people have been following Jesus for thousands of years. We have the opportunity to open up study Bibles and read cross-references. You know those little passages that are denoted next to or below the scripture you're reading? Those are actually there for a purpose. They're there so that you can get a greater context. When there's a little letter at the end of the sentence, look over, read that either footnote or that cross-reference and allow it to take you to another place that explains more of the context or information or the fulfillment of that thing, allow that to speak to you. We have amazing online resources. You can go to Bible Gateway. It has a website. It has a, a commentary section. There's blueletterbible.org. There's, there's great resources online that, where you can hear from different people who have commentated. That's why they're called commentaries. They've commentated on the passage. And you can compare them. Maybe you don't know it, what if this person's what this person has to say is true but but maybe a whole bunch of people say that and that can help confirm something to you maybe people debate on it and it leads you towards a little bit more wrestling a little bit more diving into it we have access to to podcasts and online sermons and we can listen to trusted voices and sources who can speak into these things we have the ability to not just gather in person, but digitally with other people, even when we're on the road for work or when we're far away from family or friends, we can gather together and still mull over and consider the truth. But better than all of that, better than our Bible study notes, better than commentaries or podcasts or even be able to do community group on Zoom, we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified, he said, one day the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will come, and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. God wants you to know his truth. God wants to lead you to a place of flourishing. That's why Jesus came. That's why he, not only did he teach all this stuff, but then he died for us on the cross. Not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again so that we could have a pathway to a new life, so that we could be resurrected anew, so no longer would we sleepwalk on the earth, but we could have a very real and powerful relationship with the living God that would exist, start now, but carry through eternity. But not only did he want to start a relationship, but he said, I'm actually going to put me in to you so that you have me with you in all things, so that you're going to see greater things come about in your life if you grow with me better than even the things that Jesus did himself while on the earth. And he says, and all the while I will speak to you my truth. 
He's given us his word and his presence and one another so we can grow to be fully alive and fully human in everything that God means by those things in his truth. Will we lean into that? Will we allow that wildfire of the good news of who God is and what he wants to do swell up inside of us so that we can experience? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for your truth. And I thank you for including things like this. Thank you for inspiring Luke to go on that journey with Paul and Silas and others. Thank you for allowing even just someone to be educated in the room who could write these things down from a good perspective after having known you and uh, allowing us to, to all these years later, read what you inspired and orchestrated so that we could know the truth of who you are and what you can accomplish. God, I'm so thankful that you care enough about us to have been orchestrating that since the beginning of time. God, I thank you that these principles transcend time and space. I thank you that even though we read what is historical, it still has truth to speak to us today. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are within every one of us who believes. God, Jesus, I thank you that you died so you could make that way for that. And I pray that we would be people who would not neglect that, but that we would be come alive and fully aware of what it means to live in harmony with you. God, would you help us to love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength? Would you help us to give over every part of, of us to you, not just because you call us to, God, that's worthy enough of a reason, but I thank you that you give blessing in the midst of what you have called us to do that you allow us to experience a better life, a better way, more peace and hope and joy that we can only find from knowing you. So Holy Spirit, will you teach us, will you guide us, will you reveal to us, even as we go through this week, more about you. And Father, I pray that you'd be glorified as we do. God, would every part of our lives become more and more like yours? so that you get the glory because people will not even be able to know what takes place except for by looking to you. God, I thank you for that. And so now as we, as we sing together in response to you, God, I just pray that you lift our hearts and our voices, our minds, and, and maybe even our bodies outward towards you so that we can worship you with all of us. And God, would you just smile from heaven, just appreciate your people loving you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.